0: 1 Corinthians chapter four. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit?
1: Uh, Let's bow in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we've got now to focus on your word. (laughs) Father, we pray that Uh, you would, by your Spirit, um, enable us to be free from distractions, uh, to think seriously about what your word is saying to us, and to give um, right consideration to how our thinking and our lives ought to be changed by it. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you think of when a person is described as being arrogant? What's an arrogant person? What is arrogance? I checked up my free online uh, dictionary, and it gave me this definition. It said, that, and I quote, arrogance is an overbearing pride evidenced by a superior attitude towards inferiors. End of quote. Do you like that? Does that capture, for you, what I guess Aussies would say? Uh, arrogant person is someone who's stuck up, that they've got tickets on themselves, and they kind of look down their nose at others. Does that sum it up better for you? Perhaps. What's the what? What is the opposite to arrogance? That's a real question. What What do you think is the opposite to arrogance? What would you say? Humility. Humility. Yeah, that's humility is interesting, isn't it? Because Uh, The humble person is the person who's got a right view of themselves. Uh, But when we are arrogant, we are blind to our faults. Uh, We only see the faults in other people. And uh, when we're arrogant, we're never in the wrong, are we? We're never wrong. Uh, When things do go wrong, whose fault is it? Somebody else's fault. Always somebody else's fault. Uh, we criticise, we complain about others, we run people down, we point out their faults, and arrogance is very damaging. It's damaging in a couple of ways. Uh, firstly, it, uh, it means that we're puffed up, that we have a, uh, an inflated view of ourselves, which is not helpful for us, actually, uh, apart, quite apart from the fact that it's not helpful for others because it also means that we judge other people and we judge them very often wrongly and we uh, we don't build them up, we tear them down. Uh, in fact, um, I, I say we, uh, just acknowledging the fact that we're all subject to arrogance because of our fallen nature, but it is uh, more of a more particularly a problem for some people than what it is for others. Uh, what we see in the passage that was read to us by Alyssa in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is that arrogance was actually a problem in the Corinthian church. I wonder if you can open your Bibles up at that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And you see, if you if you go down to verse 18, uh, what does Paul say? Uh, he, he kind of pinpoints the problem there. And he says in uh, verse 18, some of you have become... What does it say? Arrogant. There you go. It was a problem in the church. Now, uh, Paul, we know, had res- there'd been correspondence backwards and forwards uh, between Paul and the Corinthians, and there may have been stuff that they'd said to him which had uh, revealed this arrogance to him. Uh, it may also be that reliable people have reported to Paul of this uh, particular issue uh, that was going on in the church. And what we see here in chapter four is that uh, this arrogance had impacted the church in at least three ways. And what I intend to do uh, this morning is to unpack those three ways in which the arrogance had evidenced itself and then kind of draw out some implications for you and me, uh, given that arrogance uh, may be a problem for us as well. So... How it had impacted the church? Three ways, and the first way is this. We see it in verses 1 through to 5 that uh, some people in the church had been judging Paul. Um, Paul, of course, was a sitting duck for critics, uh, anyone who's high profile, anyone who gets in there and does stuff, uh, and particularly the fact that Paul is actually not in Corinth at the moment. He's, he's actually in Ephesus. That's where he's written this letter from. So he's absent, and they kind of feel a greater liberty to say things about him in a very arrogant sort of way. Uh, what they probably didn't count on was that some of the stuff that they were saying about Paul filtered back to him now, you've got to be careful when you make criticisms of people to others, don't you? For a whole range of reasons, not the least being that it does often filter back to the person who you've made the criticism of. That's what's happened here. In fact, if you go to chapter 9, just go over the page to chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, this is my defence. This is my defence to those who sit in judgement on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and so on? Uh, It seems that uh, Paul's critics had been uh, arguing that Paul didn't have a right to be supported uh, by the Christians, even though Paul made a deliberate decision on numerous occasions to not be supported by the Christians so that he wouldn't be a burden on them. He's still being criticised. If you go to 2 Corinthians, I know this letter was written a bit later on, but you can see the kind of stuff that people would have been saying about Paul. To 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verses 9 and 10. He says, I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. That's good to know, isn't it? For some say... And he quotes, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to a big fat zero. Uh, What are they saying? Look, he's a good letter writer, but he ain't much of a preacher. (laughs) Don't take much notice of what he says because what he says is pretty insignificant, doesn't mean anything. That's arrogant, isn't it? It's great arrogance. And that's just a sample of the criticisms against Paul. The the question then is, how does he address these criticisms? So go back to chapter 4 and have a look at what he says in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. That's interesting, isn't it? Why, why, why does Paul not care uh, if he's judged by the Corinthians? Why does he not care what they think about him? Uh, is that a sign that he is actually arrogant? No, no. Uh, it's because in verse 1, Paul and his... He uses the plural, uh, which means it's therefore referring to his co-workers, in this case, Apollos... Uh, Paul and his co-worker Paulus are only, what does it say? What is their role? What is their status? They are servants. Whose servants are they? Christ's servants. And so who so Christ is their master? Who therefore are they accountable to? Christ. And see that's why in verse five, in verse four rather he says that it is the Lord, it is Christ who judges him. Not the Corinthians. see the the Corinthians are to be very careful about making judgments about the ministry of Paul and Apollos. Now of course, there are circumstances where it is right for Christians to make judgments of each other. Uh, where it comes to false teaching, where it comes to immorality and so on. And we're going to see a bit more about that next week when we look at the next section uh, about some issues of church discipline. So uh, look forward to that next week. But here Paul's point is that uh, the Corinthians are not his judge. Uh, because on the Day of Judgment... Uh, it is God who will will expose the motives of men's hearts. And what will be the basis of that judgment? Well, uh, again, if you look at um, uh, what Paul says here, it's not the issue of how eloquent he was as a speaker, how impressive he was. I mean, we can be impressed by people's eloquence, can't we? We can be impressed by how good they are at speaking, and those things are good things if they're used for the right purpose. But what about faithfulness? What about faithfulness? Uh, a man, a businessman, retired businessman was complaining to me the other day about um, business ethics in his line of work. He said to me, you know, Scott, what they say in my line of work, they say, if you want faithfulness, go and buy a dog. <laughs> and that's the prevailing attitude. Well, in verse 2, we see that Christ requires that his servants should be faithful to the secret things of God, and that is the gospel which has now been revealed. You see, that is the job. That is the basis for judgment. It is faithfulness. I think that we can underestimate the value and the importance of faithfulness. Uh, from time to time I hear people talking about someone, say someone in full-time ministry, and they say, he's a faithful minister, but... And then they, with their words, they then go and destroy the person. I'm increasingly uncomfortable about that. Because it seems to me from uh, the, uh, what we see of the ministry of Paul and what he says, that faithfulness to the task, which is faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus is absolutely the most important thing, more important than anything else. And we see, don't we, that sometimes there are people who may not be the life of the party, they may not be the most uh, brilliant and eloquent speaker, but as you get to know them over years, you see their faithfulness, sometimes under stress and under pressure, their faithfulness to God and to his gospel, and you learn more from that person Uh, through that faithfulness than through any other way. I think we've seen that, uh, particularly in the life of June um, over the last few years. Now, the second way that arrogance has impacted upon the Corinthian church has to do with pride in men. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Now back in chapter 1, we saw how the church had become splintered. Uh, There was the, the Paul fan club, the Apollos fan club, the Cephas or Peter fan club. Uh, there was the Jesus fan club. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, it was like Australian Idol. Who are you going to vote for? Who's your favourite? Who do you want voted off? And, and they arrogantly set one leader up over and against another. Uh, so someone might say, I really love Peter. Love it when he's preaching. I don't think much so of Paul. Or, uh, you know, I really love Paul. Don't... Not, not really a great fan of, of, of uh, Apollos, and so on. And you can see what they're doing. Now, Paul has got two things to say about this. First of all, if you have a look again at verse 6, he, wants them, he says that he wants them to learn what it means to, quote, not go beyond what is written. Now, that seems a funny sort of quote to put in there. And so the question is, what what does he mean by that? Uh, It seems to me that throughout this letter, Paul frequently quotes from the Old Testament, from the Scriptures. And when he does so, he prefaces what he's saying by saying, It is written. And then he writes the quote. So here he's saying, Don't go beyond that which is written. Don't go beyond the Scriptures. See, Paul doesn't want them to arrogantly idolise one leader and put down another one. Rather, he wants them to learn from their leaders. Uh, He wants them to learn what the scriptures say about God, about Jesus, and to be changed by that. Now, uh, leaders who teach and preach the Bible through various forums... Uh, do need to work hard in order to show how interesting and how relevant the the Bible is. Uh, You you don't actually have to make the Bible relevant. You don't have to make the Bible interesting. It is interesting. Uh, Good teachers just show how interesting it actually is. But that that does need work. The problem is, and so there's no excuse for laziness, Uh, in terms of, you know, teaching uh, the Bible and preaching and so on. But the problem is that when a preacher is especially gifted, the temptation that we have is to marvel at the preacher uh, rather than focusing on what God is saying in the scriptures through the preacher. You see the point? And uh, and that's part of the problem here. But secondly, in verse 7... Paul asks a few questions. Have a look at verse 7. He says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? See, why are they taking pride of over one man against another? Uh, it's because they are not recognising that the, uh, the leaders and the people that they have are in fact gifts from God. You don't take pride, you don't boast about something which you have received, which has been given to you, and they're doing that. They need to recognise that these leaders, these men, are gifts from God and therefore you don't boast about that. Rather, what should you do? You should give thanks to God for that. Now, the third way that arrogance has impacted the Corinthian church is in verses 8 through to 13, uh, where it seems that they have become proud of themselves. Uh, have a look at verse 8. Already you have what you want, all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle for the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. Now there is a sense in the Bible in which Christians are kings, in the sense that we will rule in the heavenlies with Christ. But that's yet to come. That's not now, right? Uh, there's an, and so, but these Corinthians, they think that they're kings now. They think that they've they've got it all. That they've that they've really they're pretty fantastic. As opposed to the apostles, you see, the apostles are the are the opposite to that. Uh, when an ancient king was returning home victorious from a battle. Against some other king, uh, he would enter the city, and the city would be lined. The streets would be lined with cheering people, and uh, the victorious king would lead a procession of his army and of their captives. And at the very end of that procession would be the captives that had been earmarked for a bit of sport in the arena. Paul is saying that is a picture of the apostles that is a picture of them that they are like those captives that they are dishonored that they are ridiculed have a look at verses 10 through to 13 in verse 10 he says we are fools for Christ but you are so wise in Christ we are weak but you are strong, you are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless, when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. See how the Corinthians are being pictured? They are wise, they are strong, they are honoured. And yet uh, Paul describes himself as being foolish, weak and dishonoured. He describes his co-workers and himself as being the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Now, he's not exaggerating in that, by the way. Um, Throughout his ministry... Uh, for the very reason that Paul had been faithful to what he'd been entrusted with, that is the gospel, uh, he suffered. Um, people hated Paul for the gospel's sake. Uh, throughout his ministry, he was whipped. He was, people tried to kill him many times. He was whipped. He was stoned. Uh, he was bashed up. The word there means pummeled with fists. Uh, he was thrown in prison, he was slandered which can be just as hurtful as physical stuff Uh, he was shipwrecked three times, he spent a day and a night in the open sea. Uh, He says there in verse 12 if you look at it that he worked hard with his own hands. Paul made tents so that he wouldn't be a burden on the Christians Uh, and that that statement doesn't sort of leap off the page to us and say wow that's terrible that he had to work with his hands Uh, that seems fairly normal for us but in the Greek culture uh, it was you you see the Greeks believed that manual labour was very very lowly that that was the work of slaves slaves did manual labour not people who had any dignity and any status and Paul's saying well I was like that I made myself like that for your sake. Now, friends, this is a far cry from the style of Christianity which says that if you turn to God, then you will live comfortably uh, in this life, that you'll be like a king, like a ruler now. Uh, I'm talking about the prosperity gospel which um, some of you are familiar with. Uh, The idea that the promises of heaven, of health, of wealth, of everything wonderful, actually are to be enjoyed here and now. Um, And it's a far cry from the Christian leadership which which leads the prosperity gospel and flows from it, uh, whereby the the leaders receive incomes uh, from the church which are far in excess, far in excess of the incomes of ordinary people uh, and who, who live in, in luxury. Um, one prosperity preacher uh, I know of who was uh, asked why it, why it is that he always drives around in brand new luxury motor vehicles and his response was, uh, if you're going to preach it, then you must also live it. You've got to, you've got to walk the talk. And so if you want your congregation to know that they must they are, they are able to receive all of the riches now, then you've got to set the example for that in your ministry. But friends, to be a servant of our master Christ, who incidentally, was nailed to a cross. Uh, It's not a lifestyle of glamour. Uh, It is a lifestyle of sacrificial service. Now, Paul doesn't want to shame the Corinthians. Um, Have a look at verse 14. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, did you notice in verse 16 that Paul says there that he wants the Corinthian Christians to imitate him? And to some extent you might think, well, hang on, that seems contradictory to what he's on about here because he's saying don't follow particular leaders. Um, But no, what he's saying is he's not saying don't follow them. He's saying don't be arrogant in terms of putting one man over and above uh, the other. You see, how is it that we best learn about God from each other? Um, we do so through teaching, don't we? As we teach and admonish one another in all you know, love, we teach one another about God in our personal relationships, in our small groups, here in church, in all sorts of ways. But, you see, someone can be the most knowledgeable and gifted teacher or preacher, but the question is, what about their character? Um, How do they live? Um, Are they godly in the way that they live? How do they treat other people in their personal relationships? Are they humble, gentle, gracious, sacrificial? Are they prayerful? Are they loving people? You see, you and I, uh, we can learn so much from each other uh, when the gospel that we believe matches up with the life that we live, when you see that model of godliness in each other. And that's why we need to have relationships with each other, that's why church isn't a matter of just coming here on a Sunday, sitting in a pew, and going home. We're a community. We need to get to know each other's lives. And it's the value. I mean, I I'm all for um, listening to, you know, CDs of preachers and watching, sometimes watching some people on television and conferences and all that sort of stuff. But uh, there is real value in you actually knowing. The life of the person who teaches you the Bible, um, knowing what their character is like, knowing whether or not they're actually living it, because as they live it, they can be an example to each of us. And that's why in verse 17, um, Paul is sending Timothy to Corinth. He can't be there himself at this point in time, but he wants them to be reminded by Timothy that. Uh, that he he is living a life which is consistent with the the gospel that he's preaching, uh, with what he teaches in all of the churches. They need to know that. Friends, arrogance had gained a foothold in the Corinthian church. And next week, what we're going to see is that uh, sin, when it is not dealt with in a church spreads, it it can permeate a church and it can become the norm in a church unless it's dealt with. But what about this sin of arrogance? Some people were arrogantly judging Paul and on the one hand he says, well, he doesn't care particularly much if they do judge him because Christ is his master, Christ is his judge, I want you to take a look at verses 18 through to 21 because there's a slightly different tone here. Have a look at it. Look carefully. He says, Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power, What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? See, on the one hand, he doesn't care if the Corinthians judge him, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about this issue. He cares deeply about the welfare of the church. And so he's planning to visit Corinth, and when he visits Corinth, he's going to find out how the arrogant people are talking and what sort of an impact, what sort of a power that they are having in the church. And this passage is a warning. Paul is warning them to repent of their arrogance. If they do repent, then when Paul comes to visit, guess what kind of a visit it's going to be? It will be a visit of loving Um, enjoyable, sweet Christian fellowship. They're going to have a great time when he comes to visit if they've repented of the arrogance. What if they haven't repented of the arrogance? What kind of a visit is it going to be if that's the case? Well, it's not going to be just sort of tea and scones, right? You know, And Paul writes his report and says that the church was really nice to me and they were very warm and hospitable and uh, we had a great... No, no, no. Paul is going to confront the people who are sinning. He's going to confront these arrogant people and he's going to call on them face-to-face to repent. He's going to show to them that it's not true to say, that yeah, he's really tough in his letters, but when you meet him face-to-face he's not very impressive. No, no, no. He's going to eyeball these guys. He's going to stare them down. And he's going to say, you need to repent. Man to man, face to face. Uh, it's not going to be a pleasant visit. Paul hopes it will be a pleasant visit because he wants them to repent first. So what about us? Um, how, how does this passage challenge us to not be arrogant in our church and in our ministry. I want to just say two things in closing. Uh, Firstly, uh, this passage may actually challenge our expectation of what genuine Christian ministry ought to be like. And when I talk about ministry, I'm not talking about my ministry as, you know, the minister of the church. We are all ministers. I'm talking about the ministries which we all ought to have. Um, There is joy, but there is not much glamour in Christian ministry. Uh, Serving Christ involves hard work, discipline, commitment and sacrifice. And in all the various ways that we serve, it might be that sick person uh, who you're visiting, uh, who you're providing meals for, for their family. Uh, It might be that neighbour who you're hoping, you're building relationship with because you're hoping to actually be able to share something of Christ with that person. Uh, It might be the children that you teach the Bible to in your Sunday school class or in your school scripture class or the young people uh, that you're serving in the youth ministry. Um, It might be the ministry of prayer, actually being committed to praying for Uh, for the spread of the gospel and praying for the welfare of congregation members and praying for our building up in Christ. I want to say that there are as many opportunities to serve Christ as there are people who need to be served, Christians and non-Christians. And so it's limitless, isn't it? Limitless. Now, of course, there are many reasons why we can't be involved in all of those things. But it must never be because it is below us. It it must never be because it is below our dignity, uh, below our status, below our position in life to be involved in a certain type of ministry. Because that's not what we see in Paul, is it? The Corinthians thought that they were kings. They thought that they were pretty high up there But Paul says that his ministry is like the ministry of someone who's the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Because we follow a saviour, we follow a master who was reviled by men and went to the cross. But finally, it seems to me that this passage should also challenge our attitudes towards the ministry of others in our church. Uh, there are many ways in which people serve, um, some up front, mostly behind the scenes. And sometimes we may think that um, uh, somebody could be doing a better job in their serving, in their area of ministry. And that's okay, because that may well be true. Um, And that person may need our help. Um, They may need our encouragement. They may need our support in doing so. Or maybe we need to change our expectations, be more realistic. Those things are okay. But what is not okay is for us to be arrogant, uh, to criticise, to judge, to run down, uh, to forget that... um, that we are not that person's master. I shared with some folk a couple of weeks ago that some time ago I was in church and I was sitting next to a visitor and uh, there was something happening up front which wasn't quite according to plan and the people who were doing that were working hard to rectify that situation. And a visitor turned to me and said, "Uh, my minister... Would not tolerate that happening in our church. He would be freaking out at this point. And I thought, well, well, those people serving are not, they're not serving me. I'm not their master. They're serving Christ. I happen to know that they're doing a very faithful job, very caring, very God honouring job. Of what they were doing. So we don't freak out. We don't judge. We don't criticize. Uh, We might want to help them. We might want to put things in place so as to minimize the the chance that that'll happen again. But we mustn't be arrogant. We must be humble and we must be thankful to God for each other and for the ministries which we're able to be involved in. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we have a model of humility in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Apostle Paul. We pray for ourselves, Lord God, that you would grant us uh, humility, that humility that flows from a right understanding of the gospel. We pray that we would be humble uh, in the way that we serve, uh, that we would be prepared to serve in lowly ways. Uh, we pray that we would um, uh, learn from each other what you have to say in the scriptures and uh, not marvel at the teaching abilities of the other person. And Father, we pray that um, uh, we, would, we would also uh, in- encourage each other as we seek to serve that we might be a congregation that is bonded together in love and in a common purpose of honoring you and serving Christ our master and we pray this in his name amen